this time I do want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. We continue our exposition, our journey through this Gospel. Uh, we find ourselves today in verses 36, and we're going to read all the way down to chapter 8, verse 3, will be our passage for today. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36 down through chapter 8, verse 3. The setting for this passage is a dinner party, primarily. A Pharisee by the name of Simon has invited Jesus home for dinner. And in the midst of their meal, a woman that everyone knows, at least in that town, comes into the room and begins to serve Jesus by anointing his feet and bowing before him. And thus the dinner party quickly turns into something quite different. Really, it turns into a powerful statement on the scope and nature of who Jesus is and what his ministry is ultimately about. Let's pick up in chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Soon afterward, he went through, throughout the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom the seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to open your word together. We do not take it for granted, and we affirm that it is true. We ask now that by your Holy Spirit that you would give us understanding and eyes to see and ears to hear and that we would cause our hearts to receive the truth in a way that is transformative, not only for our good, but for your glory. So we ask now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever made the wrong assumption about someone 
you think you know. Maybe you've come to the wrong conclusion about them. Maybe a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a classmate, a family member perhaps. You thought you knew them, and yet you had come to the wrong conclusion. I think it's easier to do than we think, isn't it? We often get it wrong when we begin to assume and to evaluate and analyze others and their motives and their lives. Here in this passage, Simon, the Pharisee, does just that. He makes some serious misjudgments. He makes misjudgment about Jesus, most importantly. He makes misjudgments about the woman. And because of those things, he ultimately makes misjudgments about himself. Wrong conclusions. Totally misses it. And it's in the midst of this conversation that he has with Jesus that we continue to learn some very important and eternal and life-altering realities about Jesus, about his ministry. This text here today gives us further insight into the beauty and power of who Jesus is and what he does. And so as we walk through this passage today, I want us to see several clarifying characteristics. We're going to look at three particularly, three clarifying characteristics about the ministry and life and purpose of Jesus. And then at the end, we're going to draw about four points of application. Okay, three observations, three clarifying characteristics about the ministry of Jesus, and then four points of application. The very first thing I think it's important for us to see from this passage about Jesus' ministry is the proximity factor, the proximity of his ministry. As Luke tells us here in verse 36, Jesus is invited to dinner by a Pharisee named Simon. It's a bit surprising, isn't it? It's a bit surprising to think that a Pharisee who in no way had any um, good vibes about who Jesus was, that a Pharisee would invite him over for dinner, but he does. Jesus is invited and he accepts the invitation. And we're told that as Jesus was reclining at table, that a woman who, the text tells us, is a sinner, a woman who was a sinner, a woman of the city who was a sinner, comes to this dinner. She came and began to wipe Jesus' feet with an expensive ointment. So kind of to get the scene in our mind, as far as the cultural custom of the day, um, Jesus would have been at dinner, and it would have been a low table. It's not like our tables today. We have chairs and kind of sit high. It's actually a low table with cushions around the table where you would sit kind of uh, on the cushion with your feet kind of behind you because your feet would have been dirty, so you don't want the dirty feet at the table. And yes, your elbow would have been on the table. Amen? Okay? I know that that's, for some of you, maybe a little alarming, but they would have had their elbows on the table, kind of leaned in to engage in conversation with so you kind of get the, the picture of how they're sitting at the table, reclined at table. And the woman um, comes into the room, and that seems a bit odd. Well, how did she get into the room? Well, what would happen oftentimes during these occasions is that if you were to have kind of a public or at least a well-known figure at your house for dinner, uh, many times you would have had kind of left the door open for people who may be passing by to kind of listen in to the conversation. It's kind of an 
open dinner, open air dinner, so that people can kind of listen in. Well, that's probably what's going on here. As the woman comes by, she would have heard that Jesus was coming to the Pharisee's house, and now she comes to the house and enters into the scene. She comes into the room and begins to wipe Jesus' feet. She begins to weep. When she arrives, it seems that she becomes, she's overcome in the moment as she encounters Jesus. And weeping, she anoints his feet with the ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, which would have been now let down. And again, in a cultural situation, that would have not been something that was well received in that day and time. All we know about the woman, we don't even know her name, is that the text here describes her as a woman of the city who was a sinner. She was known to the city apparently had a reputation known for her sin, not told what the sin was, but it's clear that she had a notorious reputation that people would have known about her and what she did. And yet here she is honoring Jesus, overcome with emotion as she does so. She's demonstrating sacrifice and joy and devotion and humility before him. And in verse 39, we're told how the Pharisees responded. They, This Pharisee in particular Uh, had some thoughts. He didn't say this out loud according to the passage in verse 39. It says, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, talking about Jesus, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The Pharisee was a bit offended at the woman's presence and a bit taken aback at Jesus's response and receptivity. You know, we think this whole social distancing thing is new, but the Pharisees had it down to a science. Not when it came to viruses, but when it came to sin. They didn't want anything to do with the sinner, with sinners. They wanted to keep their distance from them, much less did they want a sinner like this woman to even come into physical contact with them. One of the things that we see here, a very important point that is being made here according uh, as Luke records this this account for us, is is one of the things that's being highlighted is that Jesus is not afraid to associate with sinners. First, and I think this is something that we would sometimes just quickly pass by. I mean, the the focus of this passage, obviously, is Jesus' interaction with the woman. But the first thing that we need to see is that Jesus was at the house of a Pharisee, a self-righteous, hypocrite, religious leader of the day, and he's at a Pharisee's house. That, that's one thing. He's, he's willing to go and be known that he was having dinner with the Pharisee. And, but second of all, he engages and receives the service of this woman as far as him, her serving him in the way that she did. Even though she had a sinful reputation, she begins to honor him, and he does not send her away. In fact, he blesses her. Reminds me of what we saw back in Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. We read there, and Jesus answered, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus' priority was to minister to those who were sick, those who were in need of a physician, those who were sinners. And therefore, he was going to be in close proximity to them as he engages them and as he serves them and reaches out to them and blesses them. 
But from the Pharisee's perspective, that's all he needed. Jesus was in no way a prophet because no man of God would allow a sinful woman like this to be near him, much less touch him. See, what Luke is doing is he's highlighting the unacceptable response of the Pharisee. Jesus will go on to make that point clear, but for now, let that sit with you a moment. Friends, do you see sinners, the undesirables, those with reputations, those with whom no one wants to associate? Do you see sinners for who they are in their sin or as those God can beautifully transform by his grace? See, if we believe in the power of the gospel to save and transform, then we must not push away from sinners. We must engage them. We must love them. For we too are sinners in need of much grace. So you see the proximity factor here. You see that Jesus was not afraid to associate with sinful people. Number two, you see the focus of Jesus' ministry in verses 40 through down, verse, uh, excuse me, verses 40 through 50, you see exactly what he came to do. Jesus, knowing that what the Pharisee was thinking, it's kind of an interesting point there, isn't it? It says, and the Pharisee thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of, sort of woman this was and would not uh, have allowed this. And Jesus answered him. So he's thinking this, and Jesus answered his thought. I have something to say to you, Simon. And you see a little tension there in verse 40, don't you? And Simon answered, well, say it, teacher. Let's kind of push him back a little bit. See a little bit of back and forth there, a little tension in the conversation. And then Jesus tells a parable in verses 41 through verse 43. Let me read it. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And they could not pay. He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, well, I suppose the one with the larger debt he said, you have judged rightly. The parable is simple. Two debtors, one with 10 times the debt of the other. And when it comes time to pay, neither can pay and the debt of both are canceled. The debt of, the, the debt of both of these debtors is completely canceled. This forgiveness is totally unexpected and would have been welcome news to someone who would have had no money to pay off the debt. And Jesus makes the simple point, which of these two debtors do you think would respond with greater love? Well, of course, the one with the larger debt. If someone came and paid off your $2,000 credit card statement, and then someone came and paid off someone's mortgage, well, I would suppose that the one whose mortgage has been paid off would respond with maybe greater gratitude. This is kind of the point he's, he's making. And then Jesus, he applies the illustration to the present situation. He contrasts Simon's lack of kindness to the woman's devotion. He articulates the differing responses he received as he does so in verses 44 down through verse 47. And he points out, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, Simon. Notice the language. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which would have been a custom, kind of a, a, a greeting of that day and time. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. See, he makes the contrast. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. See, these customs, the washing of the feet, the kiss of greeting, the anointing, none of these were extended to Jesus by Simon. And yet this woman, from the opposite end of the social spectrum, an outcast, a sinner, treated Jesus with much more honor and much more respect than this respectable religious leader. What is evident in the contrast between the woman and the Pharisee is that the woman comes to Jesus fully aware of her condition, whereas the Pharisee is completely blinded by his own sin, of his own sin. Verse 48 Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. It's important we understand what he's saying there. The tense of that verb is that when it comes to your sins are forgiven means that she is in a state of forgiveness. It's not as if she was just then forgiven. She is presently in the state of forgiveness. Forgiveness Jesus announces to her was not the result of her actions. It's not as if she came in and did all of these wonderful things and Jesus said, oh, because you did that, I forgive your sins. Rather, it's those actions that she performed that were the fruit of encountering Jesus's forgiveness. He says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Or we could say, thus, therefore, she loved much, making love the evidence of her forgiveness. See, Jesus comes to grant forgiveness to sinners. And the more one is forgiven, the more one realizes the weight of his or her sin, the more grace that he or she has received, the more one will love. See, forgiving a large debt leads to a large love. This is what grace does. It cancels the debt we owe and turns our guilt into gratitude. It, 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 re, it refines us, it transforms us, and God's grace can transform the biggest sinner, however you want to define that, into one of the most devoted, humble of saints. Friends, that's what Jesus does in the gospel. That's what he does. He comes to change and redeem and rescue and give hope to sinners. Friend, if you're here today and you, and you do not know the Lord Jesus, if you're watching maybe our live stream and, and you really haven't encountered this grace from Christ, you need to understand this is what he loves to give sinners. He loves to welcome those who are sinful and destitute and outcast to himself that he might transform them by his grace by extending forgiveness to them because of the payment he would go to the cross to bear upon his own shoulders as he died in the place of sinners, forgiving them of their sin so that all who would look to him by repenting of their sin and putting faith in him would be forgiven and transformed once and for all. This is grace that Jesus loves to extend. This is the focus. This is the, the, the priority of his ministry. He did many other things. But all of this pointed to what he would ultimately accomplish for sinners. And the Pharisee wasn't seeing it. He wasn't buying it. 
No way could this be a man of God. A man of God wouldn't touch sinners. But what he didn't understand was that the true man of God came to save them. And then number three, you see the impact of Jesus' ministry in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. We're going to come back and make some application through these verses that we've already looked at in just a moment. But you see the impact. This, the impact that Jesus had on this woman was evident. She pours herself out for his sake to serve him, to honor him, to be devoted to him. She's humbled herself in this way, bringing this what was likely a very expensive ointment to anoint Jesus in the way that she could show him love. He affirms her faith. We see that there in verse 50. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He encourages her. Again, it's important to note that Jesus points to the woman's faith, not her actions. Her, her actions were the fruit of her faith. He points to her faith demonstrated through her actions as that which was the means through which he saves. Salvation is not by works. Salvation is received through faith. And of course, the others who were at the table reacted with, who is this? who even forgives sins. You see, Jesus' impact upon this woman transformed her life. But she wouldn't be the only one. We know that Jesus continues on with his ministry in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8. You have one of these transition sections in the gospel. Kind of summary statements of what Jesus' ministry is about as he continues to go through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. We see that with him are the 12 disciples and also, it says in verse 2, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary and Joanna and Susanna. See, Luke affirms these 12 disciples, but he also notes that there are three women of faith who go with him. Mary, she'd been healed of seven demons. Joanna was the wife of Cusa, who served as an administrative official in Herod's court. Susanna and many others were told. We don't really know much about her or the others, at least in this text. Here you have these three women along with the 12 disciples. They'd come to faith. And now they gave of their own resources. You see that in the text. Who provided for them, verse 3, out of their means. They come to faith and now have given themselves and their resources to support Jesus' ministry. What you see here is just this brief account, this brief transition of going now to the next parable. We're going to see next week of the parable of the sower. You see the impact. Jesus continues to go preach good news of the kingdom, and you continue to see people's lives transformed by it. Not only did he have the 12, he had a group of women serving with him on his ministry team, funding it out of their own pockets. Friends, the impact is obvious. Jesus draws followers from a wide variety of backgrounds. You see that diversity in his disciples. You have tax collectors and political zealots on the opposite sides of the spectrum. You have fishermen. You see it here with these women, one of whom had a direct connection to Herod's palace. See, his ministry had an impact among the poor, but it had also reached those with means. His ministry spanned both the gender diversity and social scale. In a day when women would have been second-class citizens, Jesus highlights just how critical of a role they would have played in his ministry. And it demonstrates that when someone encounters Jesus, they do not remain unchanged. 
They become very much part of the community and ministry. Their priorities change. Their investments change. They invest their time and resources in kingdom purposes because of the gospel. Jesus' ministry was unexpected and unrivaled. He was a friend of sinners. The focus of his ministry brought transformation, and the impact was evident. So what are some takeaways we can have from this passage this morning? Several points of application, four of them, semi-quickly. Number one, be a friend of sinners. Be a friend of sinners. As followers of Jesus, we must remain open to relationships with sinners. This account is partly intended to show us just how shameful the Pharisees' attitude was toward this woman in particular. We are called to befriend sinners and engage them no matter how sinful they might be. I think a good question, a good question for me, a good question for you, a good question for us individually and corporately is how friendly are we towards sinners? Are we? I'm no prophet, but my guess is that if Jesus were present in our midst, serving alongside of us in ministry, that there would be times, maybe many times, often, that we might react more like the Pharisee, that we would be uncomfortable with Jesus' proximity to the world. Obviously, this requires wisdom. Your proximity to sinners can't bleed over into affirming sin and affirming people in their sin and being caught up in sin yourself. But you can and you should be loving sinners and ministering to them and serving them and engaging them and reaching them, being in their lives. The irony of this text is that Simon, the religious, self-righteous one, was in worse condition than the woman. She may have sinned much, but God's mercy was lavishly given to her. Friends, it's a reminder to us that we should not write people off because their lifestyle might offend you. Don't shut sinners out of your life because they make you uncomfortable. Remember that text that says, for such were some of you? For such were some of you. There were times when you made others uncomfortable. And God, in his glorious grace, radically saved you. And he desires to do the same for others. Don't write them off and don't shut them out. You should love them, engage them, receive them, welcome them, show them what a great Savior we have. I just ask you, friend, who is it in your context that you tend to steer away from? You know who they are. You know their names, their faces. You know the ones that make you uncomfortable and, and, and you just choose to steer away from them. And I'm not saying that there aren't times that that, is why, that that isn't wise, that you should avoid sinners for some reasons. But friend, if that is the priority of your life, if that is more common than not, then and I would just encourage you to pray for your own heart. Pray for that person. Pray for these people. Be a friend of sinners. Because Jesus came to be a savior of sinners. Number two, don't let your sin keep you from Jesus. We don't know what this sin 
or sins this woman was enslaved to. We, all we know is that it was known, well known. She had a reputation. The main point of this text, I think, is to show us that there is no sin too great that Jesus can't forgive. And friend, listen, you, you may be here today, you may be watching, and you may think to yourself, there is no way God can forgive me. You may think I'm just a lost cause. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know why I'm listening. I'm, I'm a lost cause. And you may think that God has given up on you a long time ago. But if those are your thoughts, let me just tell you, friend, those thoughts are not coming from God. Those would not be from God. God's offer of forgiveness stands. Jesus went to the cross to pay a debt you could never pay. And he was written, paid in full, and offers you this gift to be received in faith. Friends, you can't out-sin yourself out of the possibility of forgiveness. Your sins may be many, but his mercy is infinitely more. He delights in pardoning the guilty and receiving sinners and transforming them by his grace. So if you are here and you're not a Christian, you're watching, you're not a Christian, you're thinking, there's no way that God could do that for me. Friend, he does do it for people just like you. Do not think your sin is so great that God can't forgive it. Cling to him in hope. He is your only hope. Christ is your only hope because he is the only savior of sinners and he died for sin. Trust him and receive forgiveness by him. Don't let your sin keep you from Jesus. You know, the irony of this passage, I referred to it a little bit earlier, is that the woman saw this need and ran to Christ. And the text highlights just how sinful she was. We don't know exactly why, but it makes a point of saying she was a notorious sinner. And yet the irony is that the Pharisee was in worse condition because he didn't see his need. He didn't see his need. Maybe you're here and you, you think, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I don't think God's given up on me because I don't think there's much to give up on. I don't think I'm really that bad of a person. I don't, I mean, yeah, it's nice to know that God exists. It's nice to know that, that these things are true. And for those who really need Jesus, I guess he's there for them. But I really, I'm pretty good shape. I'm not a bad person. Friend, don't be like the Pharisee. Don't be blind to the reality of your own inherent depravity. Reality that we all are sinners and all of us have fallen short of God's glory. Don't cling to your self-righteousness as some means of which God will somehow approve because it will fail you. Number three, faith expresses itself through action. This woman had heard of Jesus and his message, we're told, and in some way had responded to him in faith. And these acts of devotion and humility are evidence of that. It also teaches us an important lesson about our love for God. Listen, the greater our sense of sin and God's mercy, the greater our love for him will be in return. The more we see our sin and disobedience, the greater grace will be as a result, our love and our devotion will grow. Brothers and sisters, it is a dangerous thing to see ourselves as little sinners. 
J.C. Ryle said, a sense of having our sins forgiven is the mainspring and lifeblood of love for Christ. Friend, if you feel like your love for Jesus may be waning or your affections for him stale, could it be that maybe you've taken your eyes off the greatness of grace? The depths of your own sin and the magnitude of God's grace? Faith springs into action. This woman knew she was a sinner. She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't deny it. She knew how great her sin was, but she also knew how great a Savior Jesus was. And she pours herself out in devotion to him because of it. The Pharisee didn't want anything to do with Jesus because he didn't understand the depths of his sin, nor did he understand the greatness of Jesus. Grace will not leave you idle, friend. And then number four, Jesus is a great savior. He loves the unlovable, he pursues the undesirable, and he saves the unsavable. When you read this account and you see all that we see here, that Jesus is truly the friend of sinners. But not only is he a friend of sinners, he is the savior of sinners. He is Lord of sinners. Friend, do you know what it is to have your sin forgiven? Do you know what it is to have your sin forgiven? Have you cried out for mercy? Your debt canceled. There are many, there are many, including this unnamed woman who can testify just how great of a Savior Jesus is and just how amazing grace truly is. It's still there for the taking. Look to Christ and receive it. Christians, there's no greater joy than to know your sins have been forgiven. There's no greater joy than to continue to walk in faithfulness and obedience and devotion to Christ because he is such a great Savior. May the impact of this grace show itself in our service and devotion to him. And friend, if you have not yet been a partaker of this grace, if you've not yet been a partaker of this mercy, if you've not yet cast yourself upon the mercy of Christ, what would hold you back from doing so today? Would you trust in Jesus? Look to him because he is the great savior of sinners. He came to give himself for people just like you and to pay a debt you could never pay. Would you trust him today and receive that forgiveness and know what that joy is to know Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth that we find in it. Lord, we're amazed of just how gracious you are. We're amazed at what you have done for us. That you would come, Lord Jesus, that you would come and, and give yourself, not only in proximity to, but Lord, that you would bear the burden of our sin. You would take upon yourself our shame and our guilt and our punishment, that our sins could be 
forgiven once and for all, that we could be your people, called by your name, that we could know you and walk with you and experience the joy and, and, and beauty of your grace, knowing just how far we are on our own from you. Knowing the depths of our own sin, knowing the, the realities of our own lives, and yet you would still love us and bear our burden. Oh God, how glorious you are and how grateful we must be. God, would you work in us these things? We pray this in Christ's name.